Welcome to the Media People Podcast, the show where we speak to the people who make up the media industry to learn about where they started, where they are now, and the stories in between. I'm your host, Victor Genova. For more episodes, go to soundcloud.com slash mediapeoplepodcast. Views expressed by participants are personal. If you're looking for the story of a self-made individual, then look no further than Walder Amaya. Emigrating with his family at a young age from his native Honduras, Walder was forced to restart his life in a new country. But this would prove to be just one of the many challenges that he would turn into opportunities. If you're a fan of maverick business people who defy the status quo and carve out their own path to success, then you're going to love this episode. Walder Amaya chats with us about moving to a new country, dropping out of high school to start his own business, and how a chance meeting with an executive at Rogers Media started him on a career path to where he is now Executive Vice President of International Sales and Operations at Evolve Media. Walder, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Uh, so tell us where you're from, because you're not Canadian, are you? No, I was uh, born and raised in Honduras. Uh, lived there for the first 11 and a half years, and then uh, my family immigrated to Canada uh, back in January of 1990. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about what life was like in uh, Honduras growing up? Um, it, overall, it was, it was pretty pretty going part of a big Latino family. My father is the oldest of uh, eight kids, um, always surrounded by cousins, aunts, uh, every weekend, lots of lots of kids running around all over the place. And uh, I mean, being part of a big family, I take it it wasn't the entire family that decided to just kind of pack up and come to Canada, was it? Correct. Uh, the decision was made mainly on, on opportunities. Uh, my father had a great opportunity to uh, immigrate to Canada. Um, and at that point in time, the decision was made. Uh, both my father, my mother, my sister, and myself uh, immigrated here. So it was a, a bit of a readjustment, not only in terms of getting, uh, getting used to the harsh Canadian winters, we came in the middle of the winter, but also going from always being surrounded by a big family to just being the four of us. Was the winter the biggest shock for you? Because my, my wife, she, uh, her family emigrated from Brazil, and apparently they landed on one of the snowiest days back in like 1992, and her dad was like, let's get on the plane and go home. <laughs> for, for us, it was the opposite, especially for me. I, I had never seen snow before in my life. I thought it was such a great thing. Uh, having said that, we weren't prepared. And what I mean by that, we didn't have winter jackets. It was like minus 20 degrees outside. Um, but overall, uh, as a kid, uh, I loved it. it you know, got, got involved into uh, tobogganing right away. So it was a great experience. Um, as I got older, I don't think that my love for the snow or the winters has a uh, has been as um, as intense as it was when I was a kid, though. You mentioned that your dad got a, uh, a great opportunity to relocate with the family to Canada. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, of course. So my father um, is an engineer by trade, and part of his job function is training at the University of Chicago in topography. And one of the, the opportunities that he got, when, or the reason why we immigrated to Canada, is working for a company that basically created a system or invented a system where there were these trucks, um, not 
sure on the, the technical terms, but basically trucks that were set up in the front with lasers that fired into the pavement. And that when that information bounces back, they're able to actually look at the quality of the pavement, thus allowing the departments of transportation to allocate budget to those sections of highway or roads that need maintenance um, in a timely manner. So that's the reason why we, we immigrated here, and that's uh, what my father did for about 20 some odd years that we uh, first 20 years that we have been in Canada. And when you landed, were you uh, already fluent in English or was that something you had to start from scratch with? Not at all. So that was part of uh, probably one of the largest, uh, biggest adjustments. My father was pretty fluent in English. My mother, not really, or actually none at all. Uh, my sister and I, same thing. We didn't have no, no fluidity in the English language. Um, However, I think that for my sister, given that she's five years younger than me, she was about five years old, for her it was a lot easier. For me, it was a little bit more difficult um, in terms of I was 12 years old, going into grade six, um, and then going into high school. So that uh, that gap was a little bit more difficult for me. Um, it, was, uh, it was hard. I, th- I specifically remember the first three to four years um, it was it was a bit hard just not being not being as fluent as all the kids in school were. No, I can totally see that, and especially at that point in your life. I mean, you're switching schools, then you're going to high school. It's kind of like you have to reboot your relationships exactly. and the way you do things over and over again. Exactly. Uh, you credit your parents as being the biggest influence in your life growing up. Tell Absolutely. us a bit more about that. Uh, look, the way I see it is, is through, throughout everyone's lives, there's opportunities that come across. And I know for a fact, as, as I've gotten older and been able to have man-to-man conversations with my father, that the main reason why, when that opportunity arose, and the main reason why he took that opportunity was given the fact of thinking about you know, my sister and I and being able to give us an opportunity and being able to look at the social economic opportunities that are in Latin America. As we're all aware, you know, Honduras is a third world country um, and the opportunities that we have been presented with here in the Canadian, in Canada, opportunities that we would have never had in Honduras. Um, and that for me is inspirational where, you know, it's, it's very, you're willing to give up everything for those that you love. Um, we gave up family, uh, you know, moved the family to a whole new country and started all over again. Um, and at 37 years old, my mother reminded me of this uh, last year during my birthday that my father our, my father was my age when we made this move. And I think of my own personal life with a two-year-old daughter, thinking, you know, would I be able to just pick up and go and go to a country where it's brand new language, we don't know anyone, and literally start a, a whole new um a whole new life so that that for me is very inspirational and you know I hope that one day I can fill those shoes that my father and mother have filled that's an interesting way of looking at it It really puts it in perspective to see that hey 37 this was the leap that your dad was willing to take Uh, but you took a pretty big leap yourself in the 11th grade tell us uh, what you decided to do there so in the 11th grade um, I always found especially in high school I found school too easy um, it was a lot of fun, don't get me wrong, high school and everything that goes with it. But I found school too easy and to a certain degree almost boring. Um, during the 11th grade with a couple of my buddies, we basically decided to start our own mobile power washing company. And what we did then is we pulled up our, uh, pulled all of our money together. We went out and we bought a Q-Van. We bought all the equipment as well as we set up a deal with, um, with a transportation company in Hamilton where on the 
weekends when their 18-wheelers were parked, we would go in and power wash them. Uh, and we would do anywhere between 15 to 17 uh, um, rigs on a weekend basis. And this went so well that I decided to drop out of school because business was going well. So decided to drop out of school and ran that business with a, one of my good friends for about a year. It's like a, it's like a Richard Branson story where it's exactly like you said, you're making so much money that if you want to make more money, you've got to leave school to do that. So I wanted to ask you two questions to that. One, how did your parents feel about that? Because they had relocated to Canada and they're probably looking at that going, no, what are you doing? You You've Absolutely. got a great education system. Absolutely. And at the same time, what did, your, what did your teachers or the principal, I'm sure they pulled you aside and said, you want to do what? Absolutely. Um, my parent has, my, my dad especially, has always been very open and supportive in terms of, you know, he's university educated, uh, so is my mother for that matter, but they've always been, they've always encouraged us to just follow your own path and learn from your experiences in life. So my father was supportive in the sense of, you know, here's a business venture, you guys are doing your own thing, go ahead and do it, try it out. You're young, you can, you know, you can afford to make those mistakes uh, right now. My mother on the other side was supportive, but her whole thing to me was always, you need your high school education at a minimum. You need your high school diploma. What if something happens in the future, you're 30 years old and you don't even have a high school diploma? So that always, that always stayed in the back of my mind. And that was one of the main reasons where as the business progressed and it kept getting bigger, that I decided and had a conversation with, uh, with, my, um, with my two buddies and said, look, I need to go back to school. At this point in time, I was almost 18 years, I was 18 years old. Um, I said, I, I only have a year left. I need to go back and finish. I can't work um, full time anymore. At that point in time, those guys basically bought me out. And as part of that promise, I had, I had promised my mother that I would go back and get my high school diploma eventually. I went back to school full time and finished my high school. So, so you went back to school full time. You weren't part of one of those sort of educate adult education programs where they're doing their diploma kind of part time. I tried that during during the time that year and a bit, year and a quarter that I was uh, that I was uh, that we were working. I tried that, but when you're working, you know, it's 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 a labor job. It's a very very intensive job and getting up at six in the morning going and sitting in school from from 6 p.m till 10 p.m is it wasn't worth it i literally tried that two semesters and ended up dropping out of that as well i just couldn't keep up with it i was just too tired to do it um so and that was one of the main reasons actually why i decided if i'm gonna do this i have to do it full time get fully immersed in it just get it done and over with get my high school diploma and then we figure something else out and let me ask you after you had uh left the company you started, I assume you probably had to work part-time somewhere else while you're at high school. Was it difficult to go back working for someone else, especially had you been your own, you were your own boss at, what was it, 16 years old? Yeah. You know, great question. So funny enough is one of the, one of my buddies that was one of our business partners, he also got, um, not a license, but he got a franchise and he used to own a Sunoco gas station. Mm, so okay. as part of that, I basically would uh, would go to school um, for four classes, normal uh, workload. And then in the evenings, four, four nights a week, I was actually working at the Sunoco gas station. That's how I was supplementing some of some, some money while I was going to school. So although it was different because was not our, my own boss, but I was working for somebody who I was very close with to this day, a very close friend of mine. So it was like working for family with family. Gotcha. And uh, 
Tell us a little bit about the courses you took, because you said uh, it was really media studies that spoke to you, and that kind of started you on the path that led you to where you are today. Absolutely. As I mentioned before, I found school so easy and boring. Um, One of the things that I always wanted to do, where I wanted to challenge myself, I started taking a lot of courses like business math, uh, theater for that matter, music, things that would challenge me into doing things that I had never done before. And one of the courses that I ended up taking was media studies. Um, So being in the studio, uh, doing television productions at school. I remember we did uh, the first fashion show in school and those types of things. Um, I found it extremely interesting. And uh, that was probably the one class that I enjoyed the most. on weekends, I would even go to school just to work on editing or uh, audio editing was another class that I really enjoyed. Um, and that just opened up as well as challenged me into a new area that I had never been exposed to before. This sounds like an awesome high school. I mean, we didn't ha- like growing up, I didn't have anything like that in there. But it's nice that they kind of had that hands on opportunity for you. I was very fortunate that when I came back to school, um, I initially went to to a Catholic high school in Hamilton, St. John de Brebeuf. (coughs) Excuse me. When I decided to go back to school, um, they had just opened a brand new uh, public high school. Gotcha. So it had all the toys and whistles, (laughs) all all the the, uh, audiovisual equipment, brand new cameras, studio, sound studio, uh, brand new soundboard. So... I was very fortunate. That so you went from back, get me out of here, this is boring, to I don't think I'm ever going to leave. I'm loving this place. It, it was great. Uh, that last year that I went to school, I think that a lot of it also had to do with the experience of how hard you have to work to earn a dollar. Um, and being able to go to school, time, time was of the essence. So I had to make the most out of it, finish high school, and then figure out what to do there, thereafter. So how then, after you had graduated uh, and gotten your high school diploma, did your path lead you to uh, Bob Livingston? That's right. So while I was in high school, there was um, one of our teachers actually brought in how he, they knew each other. I'm not quite sure to this day, but he brought in at, the point, at that time the guy who was the publisher for Canadian Business Magazine uh, and Profit Guide Magazine. And he came in and talked to our class about publishing business and Rogers Publishing. And after that presentation at school, um, I started talking to them uh, as he was on his way out. A couple days later, that teacher actually um, gave me Bob Livingston's contact information. Um, This was probably about end of April, early June um, of my last, you know, my my grade 12. and from there it evolved where I had the contact information. He had told me during that brief conversation if I was ever in Toronto to pop by and he would love to talk to me. Um, over that summer, I taught myself how to do HTML coding, JavaScript coding, and I decided to take the go bus to Toronto one day and I showed up at the Rogers Media offices. This is when Rogers was located at 777 Bay Street, the McLean Hunter building. Showed up there and I asked for Bob Livingstone and the assistant brought me in. He remembered me. Uh, this is at about probably 11.30, noonish. Um, ended up going out for lunch with him and spending up until about 2.30, 3 o'clock in the afternoon talking to him about what my career goals were, where, where do I saw myself, and 
I walked out of there with him offering me to bring me on on a contract basis to be the website manager for CanadianBusiness.com. Um, and I started working at Rogers Media that September. And that was the start of my how I got into media. That's huge because to be like the site manager, that's something that you usually have to spend a couple of years in the trenches, yeah. <clears throat> get yourself your degree or diploma for doing that. But you seem to get right in there. You, uh, you found that opportunity in digital when people weren't sure what was going to happen with it. And they were like, here, take the reins. We're looking at the days. I still remember those days where the sites didn't even have ad units. Um, we didn't even have an ad server at the time. Uh, I remember writing the code for our, trying to serve ads. I remember trying to design ads in Photoshop 4 at the time or Photoshop 3 at the time. Flash was just coming into the picture. We were just starting to do animated GIFs and and. and Flash animation. It's probably on your Windows 95 PC. Yeah, absolutely. Like that. Yeah. Absolutely. I actually remember updating to Windows 98 and how awesome it was at the time. Um, I remember the days where I used to go out, and this is, you know, furthermore, how I got into, into media sales, how I used to go out with uh, the print sales reps. And we used to give media, uh, digital media or, you know, one month of free ads on the website if somebody bought a double page spread. So there, that, that was the value proposition. And to see from where, where we were at that point in time as an industry overall to where we are today, it's just phenomenal to see that growth. Yeah, it's, it's kind of swapped around in favor of digital. Uh, but uh, after your time at Rogers, where did you go from there? So after Rogers, I think I was at Rogers for about six years, five and a half, six years. Um, from there, I did a very short stint at um, stockhouse.com. So there literally, I think at best two months. Um, and it, was, it was just one of those situations where it was my first shot at being outside of Rogers, working for more of a smaller company. Um, and just expectations were not aligned. And I think that it was expectations both on my end of why I expected from a company, as well as their expectations of what they expected from me coming from a large publishing company into a smaller publishing company. Um, so I was there literally for about two months. And then from there, I was very fortunate to immediately uh, being offered a position at Morningstar Canada. Uh, and at Morningstar Canada, being a financial, um, financially driven type of um, uh, company, the focus there was is concentrating on generating or starting the the digital ad revenue on Morningstar.com. Uh, that point in time, uh, I was fully immersed into dealing with the ad agencies, negotiating deals with the advertising agencies from a client standpoint, but as well as negotiating our ad server. Uh, similar to Rogers back in the day when I walked into Morningstar, they didn't have an ad server. One of their programmers had developed some code that could serve ads, uh, but there was no tracking. There was no reporting. There was none of that. Um, and I remember negotiating the deal with, at the time, 24-7 um, OAS uh, as their ad server and negotiating that deal, going through the contract. Um, and I was there for about 18 months, if I'm not mistaken. I was at, I was at Morningstar. Um, and then shortly thereafter, uh, Transcontinental Media at the time uh, came knocking on the door. And this is when I decided to go to Transcontinental Media um, as their business development manager. And what I went to do there, my, my main focus was to concentrate on generating revenue from anything that was non 
advertising agency driven. So strategic partnerships, uh, it was anything from ad rep deals, it was sponsorship type of deals. And that was a lot, a lot of fun. Um, and that actually drove through that, through that role, drove to where I am today with Evolve Media. Do you mind telling us that story? Because I think it's really interesting how of you course. made the jump to Evolve and you kind of took that bull by the horns. Of course. So this is probably about almost nine years ago now. Um, Evolve Media at the time, it was, called, it was Gorilla Nation before it rebranded. Gorilla Nation had actually sent somebody from their Chicago office to Toronto for about three months, four months. She was here in the market. And the premise was is, as a US-based company, they were starting to get RFPs and starting to get deals out of Canada. So parachute somebody into the Toronto market, let's see if there is some growth. Through industry parties or industry events, I got to know the person who they had sent up here and stroke a really good friendship with her. Um, to the point where she decided, look, I, you know, I'm in a relationship in, in, in Chicago. I really miss my boyfriend. I'm only here for a couple months. I'm going to move back. Um, would your company, as part of my strategic partnerships, would your company, Transcontinental Media, be interested in representing the advertising inventory for Gorilla Nation? I thought that this was a great idea. At that point in time, Gorilla Nation had about 700 plus websites. Um, the way I saw it was this could be an opportunity for Transcontinental Media to set up a, a ad representation division while allowing the core sales team, the core digital sales team, to concentrate on their own and operate it. Put a whole business plan together in a matter of about a week. Presented that business plan to my immediate uh, supervisor at the time. He thought it was a great idea. We flew out to Montreal to pitch the idea, and at that point in time, the individual who was the VP of sales, the VP of digital at the time, um, thought it was a terrible idea and shot down the idea on the spot. Um, and I'll never forget, on the flight back, coming back from Montreal, my, my supervisor at the time, my boss at the time, just looked at me and said, you're going to go do this by yourself, aren't you? And within 48 hours, I was in his office and I handed in my resignation. I handed in my resignation without even had secure the job with Gorilla Nation at the time. I had just been you having You really took a chance there. The way I saw it is, you know, at that point in time, I was 28 years old. Um, sometimes in life, it's just better doing those, better, it's better to do those things than than regret having not done them. And I was at that point. I thought that it was a great opportunity. I thought that if they weren't gonna do it, that I would give it my first, I would give it my best shot at trying to get that opportunity going. Um, and this was eight and a half years ago. And so far that that shot in the dark has paid off. Here we are. It's crazy to think about how much more different not only your career, but your life would have been if that VP of Digital Montreal had said, yeah, let's take it on. Absolutely. Uh, you know, things happen for a reason, and I'm a great believer in that in life. And I think that this is one of those things, um, or one of those turns, one of those pivotal points in, in life that happen, and they happen for a reason. And you know, I'm thankful that they, they he actually turned it down and thought that it was a bad idea. Yeah, well, I mean, sometimes you have to look at it like when the universe shuts a door, you open a window for yourself. Absolutely. Uh, so how has uh, Gorilla Nation or Evolve Media changed since uh, you brought it into Canada eight years ago? Overall, um, 
a, about a year, year and a half after we opened our Canadian office, um, you know, we started as as the epitome of an internet startup. Started working out of a, out of my apartment at the time. Um, we didn't even have a printer. I used to go to Kinko's to print out decks to go present to ad agencies. And one of the main things was, as money comes in, this is how we're going to spend money. You know, we bootstrap internet company. And by the end of our first year, we were up to six people. We were in a, in a lease office space, or um, not even lease office space. It, it was a, it's a month-by-month office space that as we needed more space, they would give us more space. And by the end of the first year, we looked at the cost analysis and we decided to, okay, this market is going well, let's commit to a long-term lease. And we, we found our first office space. And that office space was an office space that was able to fit comfortably about 13 people. And a year into that office space, we outgrew that space and had to move to a different office space. So the growth was always there. But as part of the growth that we saw in the Canadian market, it also allowed us to look even further and start you know, daydreaming about, well, what if we keep expanding? Canada's going well. What is the other? Uh, what are the other large English-speaking markets? So about a year or so after we opened Canada, we launched our UK office. Um, been involved to this day. I'm still uh, very much involved with our UK team. Um, we set up a team in London, went through the whole thing of looking for office space, setting them up with a printer. We <laughs> learned that lesson, very pivotal lesson to get a printer in the office right away. Um, hiring people, growing people, putting the infrastructure in place. And then about a year after London, uh, we went through the same thing with our uh, Sydney, Australia office. And similarly, at that point in time, given budget restrictions, I wasn't able to fly out to Sydney. We were literally on on Skype with a laptop, walking around, looking at the office space, uh, negotiating the lease uh, from the person that we had hired in, in, in Sydney. And you were probably doing that in the middle of the night, weren't you? Because there's, what, about a 12? 16 uh, hours. 16 hours. 16 hours difference. ahead. Um, absolutely. Um, London, I'm usually up at 4.30 in the morning dealing with our London office. Sydney, it was 10.30, 11 o'clock at night. We were on conference call dealing with them as they were getting their day going uh, of the following day. So, yeah, it was interesting. For the, for the first, I think, Four to five years working for the company, it was just go, go, go. Um, not that it has slowed down by any stretch of the imagination, because now we put different goals ahead of ourselves. But uh, it was very interesting just to see to see the growth momentum that we had as a company um, and learnings, the learnings that we were getting from one market. How do we apply those to another market and vice versa? How do we take new learnings from, from new markets that we were launching and apply those successes and or failures to more established markets that we were uh, operating in. Walder, this has been uh, a really good interview. One last question before we go. Uh, if you weren't in media, what do you think you'd be doing? I would love, and one of my passions that I do as a, as, as a side passion of mine, um, I would be in finance, uh, either as a stockbroker or working in some type of uh, finance role. And I got this from working at Morningstar and seeing all the financial analysts and getting ingrained into that whole uh, business. And I, I loved it. Nice. Thanks again for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. For more episodes, go to soundcloud.com slash media people podcast and follow me on Twitter at Vic Genova.